So the big question is this, how do you elevate the status of the skilled trades today so the next generation of workers will be able to close the talent gap tomorrow? That's the question, and this podcast is on a mission to find the answers. Welcome to Inside the Trades. We're your mission guides, Matt Sigley and Derek Cameron. This week's episode was so good, we had to split it up into two parts. We're visited by fellow podcaster and CEO of Skill Stadium, Keith Williams, who's on a similar mission and built a job matching platform and show to bring opportunities to skilled professionals. Now, before we get into the show, I'd like to ask a favor of you. If you enjoy listening and would like to support our mission, we'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share with a friend. This goes a long way in helping us reach the people who need to hear these messages, and it certainly means the world to us. All right, well, let's get into it. So today we've got a great episode for you uh, with another podcaster that is pursuing the same endeavor that we are, and we felt it was really important to get him on and hear his story and, and how he is helping out close the skills gap and provide opportunities for folks that are looking for a meaningful career in the trades. And I'd like to give a warm welcome to owner and founder and podcast host of Skill Stadium, Keith Williams. Keith, welcome. Hey, Derek. Thank you for that introduction. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Good to be on your show. Been listening to you guys. Huge fan of the work you're doing and looking forward to this episode. Yeah, thanks so much, Keith. And, and likewise, I mean, I, I know Derek's already been on your show and the fact that you have such a similar mission talking about the same story. I think the more people that can be talking about it, the better to increase that exposure. So we're super excited to continue the conversation with you today. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Keith, start things off. We always like to hear the origin story. So can you give us uh, an overview on, on the Keith Williams story and how you got to Skill Stadium and, and how you got into the podcast racket and how this all ties into closing the skills gap? Sure. So Derek, I started this business because I, first of all, I have a sales and marketing background. And so I'd worked in the technology space and working in the technology space and working with small companies like startups I started seeing, wow, you know, I could do my own business. I'm seeing what these guys are doing. And I'm saying, you know, this is something I know I have the capability of doing. What really pushed me into doing a business like this is that during the recession of 2010, I saw a lot of people losing their jobs. And I would help friends and people that I knew get jobs. And I started realizing that the system that we use to get people employed is really broken. A lot of people were trying to rely on resume, resume, you know, as opposed to going out and building relationships, showing proof of your skill set and your expertise. And when you're in sales, and I'd also been in sales leadership, and I'd been somebody who'd hired people, I'd been on both sides. So I had a better understanding of what it would take to get hired. So that kind of um, motivated me to do this. So when I started the business, I first I started another company called Godilo, Glimpse of a Day in the Life of, and this was focused on multiple careers, technology, education, the skilled trades, and I was boiling the ocean. And I focused on careers that were in high demand. And so I made a shift about two years ago to focus just on the skilled trades. Here's why. When I look at a profession, I always look at things from what's the return on your investment? What's the opportunity? If I was giving somebody advice, let's give people 
advice that's practical that can give them the proper opportunity. It's no good to give somebody advice that doesn't help them. So it's like if you give somebody advice on saying, hey, I want to be a professional athlete and they just don't have the skill sets or the ability to get that, then you haven't helped them. So I know that if I'm giving advice on something like the skill trades, I know that there's a proper return on investment. I know that it would be a sound investment for me. It would be a sound investment for my loved ones. So I'm comfortable giving advice on this because I know that it'll better that person's life. I know also it's a pain in the butt. It's a problem. I always look at what are you solving? When I make a call and it takes for a plumber to come or an electrician and it takes two weeks, that's a problem. Most people are making a call for a plumber want them there right away. And I started, I mean, I'm sure it's affected you guys. I'm sure it's affected people all over the country. It's taking longer to get plumbers out. And I said, we've got to fix that. We've got to fix that. That's our infrastructure. That also affects our economy. You know, a lot of people, they just, they don't understand how big an impact the trades has. And so that's why I started this platform. I started a podcast because I wanted to build relationships with people in the trades. I also sometimes volunteer at school. So I wanted to have content that I could share with the students since I am not a tradesperson. I want to be able to tell them, here's what I learned from this tradesperson that I interviewed. Go listen to this person because they are giving better advice than your teachers and your guidance counselor, your parents. Why? They've done the work. Nobody can debate that. You can't sit there and say, I know more about plumbing than an actual plumber if you've never plumbed. You can't. That's impossible. So I always feel like if I interview these, so I do the day in the life interviews and I do the podcast. Day in the life interviews are short videos that are under five minutes of people saying, here's what it's like to do the job. Here's what I get paid. And I just feel like the best way for our young people to learn about professions is from people who are in it. So the podcast, the business is a job platform where people create a profile and companies come and they hire those people, just like you would do on Indeed or um, any of the job sites. And so that really is the story behind the business. So are the day in the life videos, are those part of the Skill Stadium platform that people can see what these vocations are doing? Yes. Oh, that's nice. Derek, yes, yes, they are. They're on the YouTube channel. And like I said, they're short videos, easy consumption, under five minutes. But most importantly, they're, they're people who are actually doing the work. And I always recommend that if you want to learn about a career, you should go talk to people who are in that profession. And that's why I have that YouTube channel, because it has videos. Those day in the life videos are easy to consume. And these people are giving great advice. They're talking about the salaries. They're talking about what to expect from the job. Doesn't That's great advice. It's more than just data. Oh, I'll make sure to put that in our show notes for you. Sure. So can you tell us about the platform, too, how that works for the applicants and, and how they're able to stand out and make themselves more marketable to employers? Sure. So the platform is simple. You create a profile in which you do a 30-second elevator pitch. Purpose of the elevator pitch is it's who you are, what you do, and what makes you good at what you do. It's the very first thing you'll do in any interview when somebody's interviewing you. Who are you? Well, I'm so-and-so. I do this, and this is have been successful. That's an elevator pitch. It's a quick 30 seconds about who you are and what makes you good at what you do. You can do that on video or audio. So some people might be shy. The purpose behind that is that now you're standing out. So the 
the moniker for Skill Stadium is stand out and get it. If you stand out, you're going to increase your chances of getting hired. If some, if an employer looks at a paper resume and they see a video of somebody, which one is going to get more attention, especially in this day and time? If you have a video, because now there's proof of who you are, I've heard you speak, I've seen you, as opposed to this could be anybody that's that's on a paper resume. So that's really the differentiator. And then also on the platform, we have your geographical preference. So that's a little different. Like, where do you want to work? What part of town? What city? What zip code? How far away do you want to be from? And then questions about the type of culture, how you want to be managed. What type of culture do you want to work for? These are things that you would go get into in an interview. And you're answering this on the application. So the employer is seeing this. They're going to know right away if they look at your how you've answered the culture questions, whether this is a good fit. You also have a, the ability to do one-minute video proving you know what you're doing. Now, if you're good at whatever profession you're going to do, you're going to jump all over that. If I know I'm the best plumber, why wouldn't I do a video for 60 seconds proving it? If I'm really good at what I do, I should be able to prove it. If I'm not, then, yeah, that serves me no, no purpose. But the majority of people are applying for a job to do whatever it is. We're going to assume are pretty good at what they do or they have at least some competency. They should be able to talk about that for 30 seconds. They should be able to do a video for 60 seconds. If they can't, they will never get employed. And that because they'll, they won't pass the interview. So that's really the platform is to do almost like a pre-interview. And people have told me the feedback I've gotten from job seekers is they don't like long applications. It's under 10 minutes. It might take six minutes at best to do that application. That's not a lot of time. And so that is the purpose of the uh, platform. Make it easy, allow you to stand out, and also allow you to use a little creativity when you're doing your application. Because again, at the end of the day, if you do what everybody does, and you're just another number and it becomes harder to get employed. So Keith, what are the biggest challenges that you're hearing from employers right now with hiring on your platform? So what I'm seeing on the uh, job market side is that companies are having challenges finding people. And the biggest thing that I'm hearing companies say is, you know, we can teach skills, particularly if they're looking for entry-level people. But what we want is the work ethic and really the ability to fit into the culture. That's kind of the feedback I'm getting The other thing I've heard a lot of is what they see on paper is not what comes in the door. So meaning they have an expectation of somebody coming in being somewhat professional and they don't. Maybe they come in late. Maybe the impression of what they're seeing on the paper, we've all seen this, right? We have, you have a resume and it looks great. And the person comes in and they're like, wow, that doesn't really match up with what I see on the resume. Somebody else wrote your resume for you? Because you certainly don't (laughs) look like the person that we interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard that a lot. That's feedback I've heard a lot. Maybe an unprofessionalism, I've heard that too. So I would say the biggest thing is just not being what people expect because people can write anything on a resume, right? People exaggerate. And that's in any profession. That's not to say that's just the skill traits. That's every profession. People, you know, and some people don't even, like Derek was saying, some people don't even write their own resume. Some people have somebody they've hired to do that. I've heard some things as basic as we want people to show up to work on time. We want them here. Willingness to learn. That's the biggest thing. 
that I've heard from employers. And so for me, what drove me to build this platform is that I want job seekers to empower them to be able to use video to demonstrate. I had one employer tell me it's like a first interview. So they're saying who they are, what they do, what makes them good at what they do, that 30-second elevator pitch. Then they have the option of creating a 60-second video showing them doing the work. And then also the questions are geared more towards the type of culture they want to fit in, geographical location of where they want to work, because we all know that cities are pretty big. If you're on one part of town and the job is on the other part of town, you know, way 50 miles away, that might not be a fit. So having that on the application as to what is your geographical preference, how do they want to be managed, these things take less than 10 minutes to answer on a application that you're filling out. And I think that if you give people the most relevant information, because people don't like to fill out applications, and this is what I've heard from young people and employees, prospective employees, job seekers, they don't like long applications. So giving them applications that have relevant information and that allows them to use their creative side, it serves both sides because it, it gives the employer what they need to know if they want to bring this person in and um, it's a quick process and allows maybe and allows the uh, employee to really showcase who they are, showcase their skills and why they'd be a good fit for the job. Keith, those cultural and worth work ethic concerns that you mentioned, are those new concerns that employers are having over the last couple of years or have those been around for a long time? I think those have been around for a long time. I think that it's been increased because of the pandemic and because of the work shortage. But I think those concerns were always there. I think that people have always had challenges. But as the job market has shifted, and as there's been a shortage of, of workers, it's amplified more. It's probably more noticeable. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have an opinion on why, why are those cultural gaps around? Kind of what's in the mind of the employee? It's a good question. I think it depends on, you know, who you're looking at, right? So when you talk about employees, there's, there's a spread. You have people who, you have different generations of employees. So I believe there's also going to be a different mindset based on, I hate to stereotype, but a younger worker, somebody who's 22, 23, who's kind of new to the industry might have, you know, different values than somebody who's, 50 or who's worked for a longer time because they came up in a different generation. So what I've seen just observing a lot of young people is they like flexibility. You know, they like to be able to, um, they value their time more. You know, they want to, they want a little bit more flexibility. Whereas an older worker is probably a little bit more concerned about stability and what they earn. So, I would say it just depends on the individual. From my experience, it depends on that particular individual. And like I said, I've heard companies share that they've had good experiences with both generations, you know, with older workers and younger workers, and they've had bad experiences with both. So I think it does boil down to the individual. And um, so. So for context, like I... I grew up in the white collar world. So when I was in my 20s, just coming out of school, I took a white collar job. I worked for a bank. I, I'm not shy in saying I was not career oriented. 
in my 20s. Sure. You know, <laughs> and that wasn't unique. Like I wanted to go out and hang out with my friends and meet up at the bar and they all wanted to do the same thing. So I think there's probably a component of it's kind of how you are in your 20s. Yes. But I think the difference is where I was working, there was a lot of bench strength, right? There were a lot of people who kind of grew out of that phase of life and they were more career oriented. They were family oriented. They were in their 30s or 40s. They had mortgages like they had real life responsibilities that I didn't have at that time. So they knew the importance of taking this seriously. Yes. And I wonder if in the trades, there's just not that same kind of bench strength across that, you know, across every decade of life, every generation. And so to your point, the cultural challenges with the younger generation are exacerbated as a result, like you said. Yeah, I agree with you. People are people. You know, I know when I was younger, there were things that were not as important to me as they are today. You know, obviously, as you have family and you have greater responsibilities, it is going to change how you how you act. I also feel like employers have now become a little bit more flexible. The good ones have known that we've got to make adjustments, just like companies who don't embrace work from home when their competitors are are doing that. They're going to lose out. So I think some companies, like I said, the good ones at least are understanding their, the uh, changing market. And, you know, they're trying to adapt. And all companies, I think, regardless of of the day and time, if they have talented people, high-performing people, they're going to do whatever they can to keep those people. So that's just – that's not going to change. That's going to be – that's going to be consistent. That's another challenge that people have is – I heard one company, I did a uh, podcast, and one guy, he was investing, he's a plumbing company, he's actually in California, and what he was doing was he was investing in an entire building to train young people to become plumbers, because he wanted, he felt like a lot of the more experienced plumbers he was trying to hire were more divas, because they knew they were in demand, and so they would, he used the word divas, but the way I looked at it is, they look like they're folks who are going to be very particular about what they wanted. If they were going to come to work for you, you should be happy that we're hiring you. So he said, to heck with it. I'm going to, I'm going to set up a training facility and train these people. Cause he said, as long as you have the right attitude, you're willing to learn. He goes, we can teach the plumbing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I've heard a lot of. That's something I've commonly heard as I talk to um, business owners and leaders in the trades. They said, we could teach you the skills. We just want you to have that positive attitude and willingness to learn and the work ethic. So those are the things that I'm I'm hearing, uh, and I don't know. I don't. Are you hearing that? I mean, I've I've heard that from a lot of a lot of business. I don't know if you know if you're hearing that, but I've heard that a lot. I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. I think good managers, good owners, first of all, know how to teach it well. Yes, and have the willingness to take on that responsibility. Let's face it, there are a lot of bad managers yeah. who don't think that's their responsibility and don't want to make that time investment. And I think that will harm them in the long run. But we hear all the time, bring the attitude, we'll teach you the skill. Yes. And I think that's a very healthy way of building a business. But you as the owner need to build up your own skill set to be able to do that effectively. I also think, I don't know if you're seeing this too, is that I think you have some folks who are now understanding the power 
of leveraging technology to connect with people, to connect with their target audience, whether it be prospective employees or prospective customers. So the trades are definitely evolving. So you're going to see the people who who understand how to leverage that technology rise, how to leverage technology to build relationships and to connect with people. Those organizations, those leaders are going to do really well. But you have some folks who have not embraced that. And the ones that the companies and the organizations and leaders that haven't embraced that are going to get left behind. And it's evident, you know, I don't know if you, when you look up guests to be on your podcast, do you do research of them online? Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed that some guests will have a great online presence? They'll have social media, they'll have, and then I've seen others where it's like nothing, not even a website. Yeah, you're just like, are, are these people living off the grid? Yeah. On a personal level, that's fine for people keeping a low profile. If you're an employer and you're looking to reach the talent that you're hoping to find, that's going to make your place a better, a stronger environment, then you've got to be able to extend your net out there and reach everyone. And even if they're not living next door to you, you need to be able to find a means to get them in front of you and let them know that you're actually a worthwhile place to work. Because that's also where you do a lot of the branding too, where you can show what kind of an organization you are. And it's not just the token HR marketing branding video where you've got people that are smiling on the camera and you've got the boss that's got the hand on the shoulder. Everybody's looking at the monitor together and looking at a, looking at a, uh, a hole and they're all collaborating. You're like, all right, you know, that was a nice PR thing. I've shot those. It's those kind of cut loose moments or just the, where people a little bit more informal, but approachable that I think is where you get the, where you get the real magic. Definitely. Definitely. And like I said, all of these platforms are free. So I never understand, you know, why they're not taking the companies that are not taking advantage of it. I don't understand how, why they're not doing it. I mean, at the very least, if you have a business, you've got to have some form of marketing behind that business if you want to survive in the market we're in today. Recruiting is just as much a marketing exercise as customer acquisition is, mm-hmm. right? And just just like you have to go out and be willing to put in time and effort and money in acquiring leads and building relationships with those leads and trying to close them on a sale, you got to be willing to do the same thing in terms of finding talent leads and interviewing them and onboarding them and training them. Because since there is a skills gap, mm-hmm. a pretty wide skills gap, that makes demand for talent much greater. So every single small business owner is out there looking at the same pool of people. Yes. And you got to realize that some of them are going above and beyond to find the right talent in pay and in benefits, but also in more intangible things like career development opportunities and training opportunities. And if you're not doing those things, if you're not making those efforts and, and putting in those sacrifices as the business owner, you're leaving yourself at a competitive disadvantage the same as you would be if you didn't invest in the right equipment or if you didn't bring in the right trucks or if you're not using the right tools. It's the same thing. I want to just touch on that too. I had a, um, I remember I was talking to a business owner and this was for a plumbing company and he was telling me that a truck, one truck 
I think representing something like 500,000 in revenue for him. So how powerful or important is that for him to ensure that he's fully staffed and you can't guarantee who's going to stay with your company. There's going to be turnover. And if you know the numbers, it's not hard to understand why I've seen job posts where people offer a $5,000 bonus. That's telling me the cost of acquisition. If that, if it wasn't, if that wasn't a priority or important to them, they wouldn't be offering $5,000 bonuses if it wasn't important for them to acquire that staff. You can also look at some organizations and you could tell that they're going to they're gonna have challenges. I saw a uh, company once say, hey, our, we have so many years of experience. And what I saw was, you know, we have plumbers, electricians, whatever it was. I think they said our staff minimum experience is 20 plus years. What I saw was an opportunity because I said, you know, if these guys look like they're in their 50s. They're not going to be here for another yeah. 20 years. They're going to be retiring soon. At some point, you're not planning to staff up, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, you should be going and building relationships with the schools, but they're touting how great their experience is, some of these companies that, but that's, that's an opportunity. And that, I can look at that right away and know that that's going to be a challenge in about 10 years when those guys start getting in their 60s or 70s. Okay, we're going to end part one here and then share the second half in the next episode. Thank you for listening in today. And again, if you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify and share with a friend. This helps us get the word out to others who can benefit from these conversations. And it certainly means the world to us. Also, if you have a show topic you think would resonate with our listeners and would like to come on as a guest or know someone who may, please reach out and we'd love to talk. We're inside the trades. This is Derek Cameron, and we'll see you soon.